Well, you guys can have a seat. Welcome. Yeah, here's, a, here's an extra 10 seconds. <clears throat> hey, guys, well, welcome. My name is Greg, and if we have not, meet, I'd love, uh, if we have not met, I'd love to meet you. Um, but I have the privilege of being a pastor here at uh, Outpost Community Church. Glad you guys are here in this rec center gym hanging out. Um, we are in the middle of a series we're calling Patterns for Renewal. So, so far we've talked about Bible intake, reading God's Word, and how that can uh, influence our life and renew us. We talked about meditation last week. Moms, did any of you tell any of your kids that they've been sucking on a dog turd? Anybody do that? A few? Did anybody, does anybody have dum-dums or Jolly Ranchers on their counter? I, I got a text from a few people, all right? I ate more dum-dums this past week than I've ever eaten in my life. <clears throat> so we talked about meditation last week. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the message. That'll make a lot more sense there. Um, but today we're talking about prayer. So before we begin, let's start off a message about prayer by praying. Does that sound like a good idea? All right, it's the last good idea I'll probably have this morning. Father, hallowed be your name. May your name be feared and revered and loved and adored and respected and honored in this room and in our hearts. My heart, the throne of my heart, I don't want to give to you at all the time. So I want to rule, I want to lead my own life. And I pray, God, your name would be so hallowed that I would have have no other desire but to have you on that throne. And may your kingdom come and your will be done in my life and in my city and in my state and in my country as it's done in heaven. God, I pray that you forgive me for my sin as I forgive those who sin against me. And I pray, Lord, that you wouldn't lead me or this people into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil, from division, from fighting, from quarreling, from all the things that are tempting us and distracting us. God, this is your kingdom, this is your will, this is your purpose. You have all the power and the glory, and it's to you we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Well, <clears throat> the largest radio receiver in the entire world on the earth is in New Mexico, which makes sense because there's nothing else in New Mexico, so you could put big stuff there. All right? I know I'm from New Mexico, so I can hate on them. Uh, but pilots call it the mushroom patch, and the real name is the Carl G. Jansky Very Large Array. Uh, the VLA, and the VLA is a series of 27 huge satellites on a 38-mile rail, uh, railways, and together these dishes mimic a single telescope that's the size of Washington, D.C., quite large. Astronomers come from all over the world to analyze the optical images of the heavens composed by the VLA from radio signals it receives from space. And why is it so big? Like, why such a giant array? Well, because the radio waves that they receive, often emitted from sources that are millions of light years away, are extremely faint. The total energy of all the radio waves ever recorded by the VLA uh, equals the force of a single snowflake hitting the ground. And I'm telling you guys about this because we need to see at what great lengths people will go to search for a faint message from space even as God has spoken to us clearly through Jesus and through the word. We are desperate to get a message from the beyond. We strain through our eyes, through telescopes, and through elect electronic ears, the VLA, uh, searching the infinite darkness for a possible word from somewhere in the universe. All the while, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the darkness 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's 2 Peter 1. But God not only has spoken clearly and powerfully to us through Christ in the scriptures, he also has very large ears to hear our prayers. Even when our prayers are as weak as a snowflake hitting the ground, our God listens to us because he loves us and he cares about us and he wants to hear from us. And today we're going to talk about prayer. We're talking about, uh, we're going to ask questions about the challenges we have when it comes to praying because everyone in the room agrees that we should pray. We should pray. I should pray. Right? But yet we don't and there's challenges that get in the way. And so we're going to look at those challenges. Challenges like, well, why should I pray if he already knows everything I'm going to ask? Like, why would I even ask him? And things like that. We're going to answer some of those questions. We're going to look at those challenges. And then we're going to talk about what is the purpose of prayer? Like when we're praying, what are we doing? Like what are we really trying to do when we pray? And at the end of this time together, in this fellowship of you guys and me, we're going to take some time to put it into practice. Okay, we're going to pray together. And we've got a lot to pray about this week. I'm sure a lot of you, if you were to share right now your prayer requests, we all have things in our own lives that need prayer. And so we're going to take time to do that. Are you excited? You ready to talk about this? This prayer is, uh, prayer uh, is only second in, in importance to Bible intake reading your Bible. And reading your Bible has such an impact on prayer. You're going to find that all these patterns of renewal we're talking about, they all go together. And so we're going to dive in. So we're going to talk about the challenges of prayer. We're going to talk about the purpose of prayer, and then we're going to put that purpose to practice. Okay? So let's do that. Now, if I were to ask you guys, every one of you, if you were honest, you would say that you know that you need prayer. Everybody needs prayer. I was reading a book uh, called Torture for Christ, and this man in, in the 50s is tortured by Russians. And he caught this Russian off guard because Russians were told, you know, uh, that there is no God. Atheism is the belief of the day uh, in the 1950s. And he was talking to this uh, ex-Russian soldier, and he said, hey, who did you pray to when you prayed? And the, and the Russian soldier turned and looked at him, eyes huge, like, how dare you? But it wasn't just a how dare you even ask me that. It's like, how did you know? And what the author uh, said was, he knows everybody in wars pray. Everybody prays. We know we need it. We know that we need prayer, but we don't do it very often. Anybody in here struggle with prayer? Just raise your hand if you feel like you struggle to pray and to pray often. I do, yeah. I think everyone in the room can say, yes, me, absolutely. And so we know that if we prayed a lot, we believe that it would be transformational. We believe that it would be kingdom building. We know that it would lift our spirits. It would be good for our faith, but yet we don't do it. Now, my goal is not to be critical and condemning but to state the obvious, okay, and to put us all on the same ground. There's other people in the room who are just like you who struggle to pray. So let's talk about some of those challenges and the things that get in the way, okay? We're going to talk about two big camps of challenges. And the first big camp is this. We just completely misunderstand what prayer is. I think one of the reasons why we don't pray, one of the major reasons, is we completely misunderstand what prayer is and what it's about. Okay, for me, for years, I took my prayer cues from the sing songs that we did at the dinner table. Anybody have some of those? And I took those from watching other people in my Baptist church pray. Okay, now, again, I don't want to be overcritical, but I think those sing songs, as good and as fun as they are, they were just a means to the real end, which was eating. Let's sing this thing and then we're going to eat. It never felt like we were actually talking to somebody. I didn't have to engage my mind or my heart. There was no like relational thing happening there. It was just a sing song. We did this. It's great. Now I'm not criticizing your family. You do that, and that's your tradition. That's great. I eventually stop. All right. When they hit like 16, I don't know, sometime. Um, But then, so that's where I got my cue. The other thing was in the churches, I would watch other people pray. How many of you you learned how to pray by listening to other people pray? 
Okay, where I came from, the prayers, like you weren't praying unless you said God's name at least three times every sentence. And especially, if you, and you were even greater if you could use a different name. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just want to pray, Father, that you, Father, would, you know, just Jehovah Jireh, you would be there, you know, like that kind of thing. We would just do that. And then there was the other thing is like the just prayers. Anybody know a just prayer? If you don't know one, you're the one, really. God, we just pray that you would just show up and just, you know, just be there and just, God, we just, you know. If you, you can't say just and then pray for 16 things. That doesn't make any sense. So I would, you know, it's silly and I, I don't want to be overly critical, but the reality is watching other people pray is how I learned how to pray. And I realized I misunderstood what prayer was because I was taking my cues from people who didn't understand what prayer was. You recognize that? So the question we have to ask is, where do we learn how to pray, you know? Uh, the disciples, they had been praying their whole life. Praying just prayers to God and wrote prayers, you know, scripted prayers. But when they came across Jesus and they saw him praying, they knew that they were missing something. In fact, Luke chapter 11, verse one, it says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and apparently the disciples could see it. They could hear it. They could feel his prayers. Then when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Have you ever seen somebody, you heard them pray, and you go, now that I have never seen before. It's not that they were spiritually elite or they got the trick words or whatever. They understood what prayer was. And these disciples saw in Jesus that he was praying in a way that they had never seen. And they said, hey, teach us how to pray. Now, we're not going to look at that right now. We're going to save that for later. But for now, the point I want to make is we've been taking our cues on how to pray from others. And a lot of times that's okay, right? It's okay so long as they're relational and they're biblical prayers. But a lot of those things can create misunderstandings, okay? And those misunderstandings we have about prayer are always going to have side effects, guys. When you misunderstand, you're going to have some, there's going to be some side effects to your prayer life. One of the side effects is this. When they're kitschy little prayers that don't seem to be really talking to anybody, you're going to have doubts that God could ever answer those prayers. It's a natural thing. Anybody ever feel that way? Where like you're laying in bed and you're praying and you feel like it's hitting the ceiling coming right back to you. You're like, I don't know if he could do this. And we've got doubts about him. I admit right now, I've had that times. And James addresses this in James chapter 1. He says in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, how many of you prayed for wisdom? Like, how many times this week, you know, like, I just, God, give me wisdom for this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Why would we ask God? Because God can answer that. He can give you the wisdom. It says this, who, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. He'll give you that wisdom. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Simply put, what he's saying is, look, you, when we pray, we're trying to go to a, a source that we know can do something about it. But if we're going to that source saying, we know you could do something about it, but we doubt you could do something about it, you're a double-minded man. Why do you think he's going to do something? Because you're acting like you're going to, but you don't really believe that he can. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be overcritical. That's me, guys. That's you and me and a lot of people in this town. We pray and we go, oh, I don't even know if God could do it. And so what we, really what that comes down to is we have a misunderstanding of who God is, not just a misunderstanding of prayer, okay? Another side effect of misunderstanding the uh, pattern of prayer is that we begin to believe that God will only listen to us if we have enough faith or if we've been a good enough person. 
Any, anybody ever felt that in your heart? Like you sin and you're like, why would God listen to me? Like I wouldn't listen to me. I wouldn't give me what I want. You know what I mean? Anybody ever done that? Let me just tell you that's not biblical. It's not biblical. God's not waiting for you to be perfect to then finally, okay, now I'll listen to you. He doesn't do that. It doesn't make any sense. It's not biblical. It, you misunderstand who God is. Okay? The last side effect we'll talk about in this category of misunderstanding is when we put too much emphasis on our not knowing how to pray. Like, I mean, the amount of times I go, hey, would you pray? Oh, don't ask me to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Anybody ever done that? Like, if I were to ask you right now, you'd be like, no, 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 not me. I don't know how to pray. Right? Let me just tell you right now, and if I offend you, I am not as sorry as I probably should be. But let me tell you this. You need to repent of saying that. It's not true. If you go, I don't know how to pray, you lied. You do know how to pray. Watching you guys talk to each other in the meet and greet tells me you know how to pray. You just misunderstand what prayer is. It's not a talent show. When you're praying in front of others, if we're judging your, what you're talking about, we're probably in the wrong place. Like we're doing the wrong thing and we're misunderstanding. And so we're going to talk about what prayer is here in a little bit and I'm kind of alluding to it. Let's talk about the next big category that gets in the way, the big challenge that gets in the way of our prayers, all right? Maybe you resonated with that misunderstanding thing and you're going, man, maybe I do misunderstand what prayer is. But the second big category is just availability, okay? Availability. We don't have time for it. Or we think we don't have time for it. Anybody feel like they're busy? Anybody in here busy? Anybody using the B word during the week? All the time. I mean, in our community group, we almost twitch before we say it. Man, I've just been so, like, oh, no, I've been fine. I'm totally fine. Right? Like, um, it hasn't been, you know, a lot of things all at the same time. Um, we're busy. And we're too, we're too busy. There's no space for prayer in our life. Who has time to stop and bow their heads and talk to an invisible God when there's so much to do? Anybody? Resonate? Also in this availability camp, we're not available because we're just distracted. Man, this one hits me. Anybody hit this, uh, this one? Like where I'm, I'm praying and I'm chasing, as uh, Charles Spurgeon says, I'm chasing the butterflies. I'm trying to talk to the Lord and, and then I'm thinking about this that has to be done or that has to be done or this conflict situation or, or you know, I'm just, or it's silly things that have nothing to do with anything. And I'm just distracted. We get so easily distracted by so many things that are going on in our lives and that's what's going on. I mean, it's, and it's not just in our prayer life, guys. Isn't it in every relationship in our life that we're that way? When I'm talking to my wife, she can tell by looking into my eyes whether or not I'm listening to her or not listening to her. I'm still looking at her, but she can go, he's not here. Any of the wives, you, you, got, you know it, you can see it. Complete, I have that. Some of you know me well enough and my friends go, yeah, I can see it in your eyes. You, are, you have left the room. And uh, we're just so easily distracted. Guys, our minds misunderstand what prayer is all about. Our hearts and our minds are too busy, too distracted, and therefore are unavailable to God. We don't understand what prayer is all about. Many of us, we don't pray because we just don't get it. We don't understand what it's about. We've made it this big, hoity-toity, Christian, uh, like, high religion thing. And it's just not that. It's not that. And these challenges are blocking us and they're getting in the way. And guys, I want them to get out of the way. So you guys want to talk about what is prayer then? 
What's the purpose of prayer? How do we do this? What's it about? Anybody want to talk about it? I do. And I've got the microphone, so let's do this. Let's talk about the purpose of prayer, okay? Prayer, simply put, guys, is this. It's communication between the heart of a man or a woman and the heart of God. That's it. Prayer is communication between your heart and God's heart. Now, you knew that. Like I said that and you're like, oh, I thought you were going to say something different. I already knew that. So what, why are we still so challenged by these prayer practices? Why are we challenged to have a pattern of prayer in our life if we already know it's communication? Okay, why do we still pray these impotent and feckless prayers that don't do anything? They're just like, oh, just like clanging gongs, meaningless. We do it not because we don't realize that prayer is communication, because we don't realize that it's also about relationship. Prayer is communication that's between your heart and God's heart, and it's about relationship. It's about building a relationship connection in your heart to the heart of God. Okay, last week I showed you guys a picture of a cafe at the bottom of the Carlsbad Caverns. We're gonna show you this picture again, okay? And uh, this is an amazing picture. 700 feet below the surface of the earth, there's a cafe, all right? Somebody built that there. And uh, this, I showed this to you last week to help you take your mind's eye down to realize that God wants to sit at a picnic table with you at the depths of your heart, and he just wants to talk to you. He just wants to be with you. Some of your greatest issues, guys, some of you in this room who are trying to figure out Christianity, you think that God wants to take you to a courtroom. No, he just wants to go sit in a cafe at the depths of your heart and just hang with you. And he wants everyone to go away, so it's just you and him. Distraction for your environment. And in that space, you can build trust. It's having a conversation there. That's what prayer is about. It's a relationship. It's sitting there. Those tiny little 1950s Dixie cups just talking and spending time together. That is what it is about. He's not looking for you to be fancy and to lay up fancy words in your prayers. He's not interested. He's not expecting you to be perfect. There's only one, one guy sitting at the table who's perfect, and it's him, and he's all right. He's, he doesn't need you to be perfect. He just wants to sit there with you. Scripture says this, and, and when you pray, this is Jesus talking. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. The guys who look and sound and say these big things, but really below the surface, they're not really that. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, right, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They got what they wanted, people to look at them and think they're great guys. And if that's all you want is people to think you're a great guy, go find a church that you could just, y'all can get together and just celebrate each other's prayers. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. He said, hey, let's get alone, you and I. Verse seven, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Stop it, don't do that. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Does that mean that you don't ask him? No. He said, stop trying to impress him. So again, prayer isn't fanciful laying up of words. 
Because people who pray those kind of prayers, they're really doing it to get the approval of others. And what has the approval of others ever done for you? Nothing. Nothing. Because a bad burrito can change their approval in a second. I mean, isn't it true? Like, we're a fickle, fickle. Your boss is fickle. You do well, and then he gets in a fight with his wife, kicks the cat, knocks out his kid, comes to work, and he wants to kill you. It has nothing to do with you. God's not looking for you to lay it up. So we have to understand that prayer is most impactful, most real, most meaningful, and most con- when it is most connected from your heart to God's heart. And the way to make that a reality more often than not is you have to go and get in your closet or you have to go to a space where you're going to push everybody out, we're going to push all the distractions out, and you're going to sit with be with God, all right? Now, I don't know about you, I've gone and sat in my closet before, all right, and, and laid there, and for some reason the world still comes with me. Anybody like that? It still comes with me. It's in my brain. I'm still thinking, and I'm still trying to, like, get out of the closet, get out of my head, like, I'm still fighting. But that's what God wants to see is just a willingness to say, are you willing to set aside everything so that you and I can sit and you can be together? It's just like when I want to foster a relationship with my wife, all right? When I want to foster a deep relationship with my wife, I don't invite you to come hang out with us, all right? I don't. I want to be with her and her alone. I was like, hey, if she was like really excited about a date and then I invited the entire community group, I love my community group, but that would not be a date with my wife, Okay? And that's what he's saying. You know, a person who really understood this was Billy Graham, who understood that our relationship with Jesus is far more important than anything else in our life, far more important than our marriages and our relationship with our kids, more than anything. At the end of Billy Graham's life, he's in his 90s, a reporter sat with him, I think he was in the hospital, and she sat with him and just asked him, hey, do you have any regrets? What a good guy to ask, right? Like, if I could think of a guy who lived for Jesus, I think of Billy Graham. Hey, do you have any regrets? You know what Billy said? He said his greatest regret was that he didn't tell God he loved him more. He wished he could go back and tell Jesus he loved him more. Meditate on that for a second. When's the last time you just said, God, I just want to tell you I love you. I just want you to know I love you. Man, that moves me. Understanding that prayer as a link between your heart and and God's, is the beginning of a massively important pattern of prayer. You see, it's just the beginning, though, because relationships, they they have all sorts of communication, right? And like in my family, there's all kinds of communication. In my friendships, I mean, there's just, I talk to you different than I talk to my wife, which is different than I talk to my nine-year-old daughter. Just, there's all kinds of different ways to talk. And so, um, the reality is we need to have these spaces in our life where we're going to sit with God and we're going to be we're going to drive everything out and we're going to talk to him we're going to have this conversation that's intimate like at a cafe at the bottom of the Carlsbad Caverns, just you and him. We need that. But the reality is, do we got to get out of our closet? Yes. I don't know about you, but I got things to do, don't you? We got kids to raise, we got sports to show up for, we got people to feed, we got ditches to wash, we got to show up to these jobs. We've got things to do. Anybody have things to do? Anybody? Yes. So we got to get out and we got to go do something. But if you understand that it begins in this space with God and then you head out into that, then you realize the conversation is going to be a little different when you get out there. Okay, it's going to be a little bit different. All right, so the foundation is built in the closet, but then we're going to move out. And when we got to move out into the real world, and what you got to understand about the Christian journey is the real world is war. Walking with Jesus is war. 
It's building kingdom in a world that hates the kingdom of God every single day. And so we're out doing these things and, and feeding kids and taking care of dishes and going to work and all that stuff, but all in the midst of that, we're also trying to do something far more important than all of that, and it's build a kingdom of God. Because God has invited us in to do that, and it is a constant war. I think this week we're being reminded, if any of you have been paying attention, we're being reminded of what war is really like. It's ugly. It's brutal. It's confusing, and it's always much bigger than we can imagine. For those who here, and there's some guys in this room who've been to war, you know that the success in war, in war is not just dependent on how many guns you have and how many people you have, but how well you communicate. Communication is key, okay? Between those who are on the front lines, they have to communicate well, and those who communicate well will find more success in their communication, in their time together, in their serving, in their fighting, in their getting after it. It requires good and constant communication, okay? The side that communicates well does so much better. But there also has to be really good communication between those who are on the front lines and those who are in the general's tents. That communication has to be strong, and it also has to be trustworthy. I've got to trust that if you're asking me to go do this thing, that that's the best thing to do. Because I might have to lay my life down in that area to do that thing, right? So in our life, there's this prayer that we do with God where we sit and we abide and we dwell with him, and it's like sitting at that picnic table with the general and just learning more about him and talking with him and building trust in him and saying, man, wherever you ask me to go, Jesus, I will go and do that thing. But there's those prayers that are kind of like a walkie-talkie, right? Which the worst name of any type of military equipment in the world. We've got rocket launchers and then we have walkie-talkie. That makes no sense, okay? But it's, what, I mean, it's a great name in the fact that you're gonna walk and you're gonna talk. And that's what it's like to follow Jesus when you get out. You're just walking and talking. You go, Jesus, what do you want me to do here? What do you want me to do there? How do you want me to talk to that person? Hey, I, I wanna pray for them. I wanna lift them up. And it's like you got that walkie-talkie on your hip and you're just pulling it. Hey, God, I wanna ask, hey, what do you want me to do there? Hey, God, will you give me wisdom for this? Hey, God, I'm heading into this situation. How can I talk? And you're just constantly, it's right there. And you're just pulling it every single time. God, I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you. You're not back in the tent with him, you're pulling it. You see what I'm saying here? It's communication in wartime. In our relationship, God, we are establishing a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And prayer serves as a communication between our heart and his in the midst of a warfare. And whether you realize it or not, if you belong to Jesus, you are on the front lines. Actually, one of the greatest tragedies right now is many of you Christians don't see that. You think that you're in Christian retirement. Let's find a good place to listen to music and good teaching and, and just feel petted. Go somewhere else or repent of your sin because Jesus went to war and died so that you can have freedom. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's frustrating. It's deeply frustrating. But that's how we see it. Man, because the devil, Satan, is going around like a roaring lion seeking some to devour. And this week, I watched him do it all week long. Guys, my phone, I get texts when I'm sleeping of what Satan's doing when you're sleeping. And he never stops. He rejoices 
when we divorce. He rejoices when we divide against each other. He rejoices when we treat prayer like a talent show because he knows it's meaningless. He rejoices when our children kill themselves. He sings songs over that. He rejoices when you hold grudges. He rejoices when we gossip. He rejoices when we sin. He rejoices, guys, because he hates you. He hates you. And you blame God? God wants to sit with you, and he loves you, and he wants you to trust him. And Satan is singing songs over your destruction. I'm sick of watching men who just want to do Bible studies, talk theology, and live meaningless lives. Because Satan wants to kill you. And he wants to kill the children of this town. And I, I've, I haven't been here long, guys, seven years. I've watched more kids kill themselves than I want to account and attempt to kill themselves in this town than I ever want to know. That's why I planted this church. It's not because Cody CMA was a horrible church. It's because they can't be the only ones who try to meet that need. And I'm not going to sit around and watch men do nothing. I'm going to do something. Have your opinion of me. But that, I want to do something. And you're invited to do something. But whether you do it or not, whether I stand alone or not, I know God stands with me. And I wish we would repent. Because what we have done, and this week I felt it, we take the crosshairs of our rifles and we put them on each other. Who do you think celebrates when that happens? Satan does. And you've, called, you've got back on the throne of your heart and you pulled out the walkie-talkie and you said, I'm not taking your commands anymore. I'm going to do it my way. Ah, God, I pray you forgive us. And it's frustrating. But I tell you this. God is rich in mercy because he loves us. If that's you and you've just been tipping your hat towards this Jesus, listen, he loves you. He's not here to condemn you. Scripture says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive together with Christ. Not alive to sit around, drink tea, and just talk about Christianity. He's made us alive to get on the attack because he's been attacked. And now we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us so that the teenagers will stop feeling like no one loves them and that their life is meaningless. Man, the foundation of our prayer begins back in the tent, the general's tent with him, realizing like, you can trust God, guys. And he may ask you to do things that it's like laying down your life. He may ask you to do that, but we continue steadfastly in prayer and we be watchful in it with thanksgiving. It's this thanksgiving because we know God's gonna answer our prayer and if he doesn't answer the way I want, it's because he's got something even better. And why would we not trust the God who could see the beginning to the end and everything in between and he knows where everything needs to be? So if he says, Greg, go to Cody, I'll go, all right, I'll go to Cody. That's where I wanna be. If that's what you think is the best idea, I'll go there and let's do this. And if he says, Greg, I want you to pull out of that. You're going to let that guy go there, and I want you to go over here. I'm like, you know better than I. Let's go. You live in the neighborhood you live in because he assigned you to that neighborhood. Not so that you could have the house you're in because it has four bedrooms, and it's nice and comfortable, and you like the wood floors, the potential for some upgrades. He puts you there because you have some neighbors who don't know Jesus. That's why. So do your upgrades. 
but love your neighbors and pray for them and get on the walkie-talkie with God and be like, hey, he's available. He's out in the street. Can I go talk to him? Like, what do you, what do you want me to do here? And you engage with him. And we continue in that. And so God wants to build a kingdom and he wants to use people and he's made us alive. And no matter what he wants to ask us to do, even if they cause suffering in our lives, we do what Peter and John did. You know what Peter and John did? They got captured and they got taken and they took, like, think bats. They took rods and they beat their backs with them. And then what did Peter and John do? Go, oh, that's enough of that. I can't take it anymore. Too much church hurt. I can't handle this anymore. No, they go back to the church and they go, celebrate with me because I got to share in the suffering with Jesus. Let's party, get the food out, get the good wine, let's just celebrate, I got to be like Jesus today. Check out my back, pulling up the shirts. They celebrated. The crosshairs were not on each other. The crosshairs were on Satan and say, you could beat our backs, but we'll keep going. Man, I'm impressed. I've been watching a lot of this stuff going on with Ukraine and Russia, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have been watching it. One thing I've been impressed by, number one, okay, any news agency you watch, it's like, who could you be trusted anymore, right? And so you're watching, it's hard to tell, but one thing I thought was amazing was Vladimir Zelensky, he's the president of Ukraine, all right? (laughs) That man ain't looking for a way out. I know it. The U.S. offered him a way out, and you know what he said? I quote, he said, I need ammunition, not a ride. I need bullets and guns. I do not need a taxi. I don't need an Uber out of Kiev. I'm fighting for my people. Heard a story of an 80-year-old man. Shows up with a suitcase, two PBJs, my kind of man, and an extra pair of shoes, 80 years old. He shows up to the police department and he says, I'm here to fight for my grandchildren. You know what I hear in the church from a bunch of older folks? Been there, done that. I don't, I don't do that stuff anymore. I'm like, awesome. Show me the 80-year-old men who are going, I'm here to fight for my grandchildren. That's the men I want to run with. Read this morning. Caleb, in the Bible, man's like 80, he goes, I'm as strong as I was when I was 40, give me my land, I'll fight today. I'm like, show me the Joshua's and Caleb's, I want to run with them. I hope Outpost shrinks in size, because it, and it shrinks down, like Gideon's army, down to 300 people going, we'll go to war. Not because we're so impressive, but because we're a ragtag, messed up group of sinners, but we believe that God can do what he says he will do. And wherever he tells us to go, we will go. Joshua, when he's giving back the tribes to uh, Reuben and Gad, he's saying, you guys are free to go back to your land. Thank you for fighting for us. He says, but remember the Lord. When you guys fight, no one can stand against you. And in Joshua it says, one man puts to flight a thousand. Because why? He says, because God fought for you. I want to be the kind of man where... I'm just sitting in the general's tent and I'm saying, I'll go wherever you ask me to go. And I know, God, if you place me there, you will fight for me, you will stand for me, and I will put to flight a thousand. That's what happens when we get in our closets and we pray, we catch on fire. Because we believe God will do it. But when we turn prayer into a talent show, what makes you think God's involved in that? Because you don't even have a thought of God. You have a thought of what people think about you. I'm telling you right now, I don't even know where I'm in the message. I'm, I'm just going, I'm just going right now. And I'm telling you, I, I mean, it, it's funny, but the reality is I am legit, like, disinterested. 
Because I think we forget something. Vladimir Zelensky, who said that, he's like, I need ammunition. I'm not leaving. He knows what every sane, sober-minded leader knows. If Russia gets Kiev, who's the number one person they want to kill? Him. He's the president. Duh. Do you know what God says is your identity? Zelensky's the president of Ukraine. Big deal. This is what scripture says about you. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You are children, you are heirs of God. First Peter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That doesn't apply to the Jews anymore. That applies to everyone who's received the mercy of Jesus. You are a royal people. And when you realize that you are royal people and your identity is in Jesus, where do you think the crosshairs of the enemy are placed? On your back. On your back. If you don't like that, let me remind you of what Jesus says. He says in John 15, don't be surprised. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul, a man who experienced it in his own life, who's a man just like you guys, he said in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Nevertheless, in spite of all these warnings and all this, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, but I say to you, even though they will hate you, they will revile you, they will take your children, they will bash them against rocks, they want to crucify you, and in the Middle East, chop off these women's heads for believing in Jesus, their own daughters. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. Get on the walkie-talkie for them. Go to the closet for your enemy so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. In other words, so that you do what your father does. Jesus didn't just pray for his enemies. He laid down his life for his enemies. And by the way, when the Bible says enemies, it's talking about you. You were enemies of God until the mercy of God came into your life and rescued and redeemed you. How dare you hold back your life from God's hand? Do you celebrate what God's done for you? Then get in the closet and remind yourself of his goodness and kindness that he would never ask something of you that is evil. He tempts no one. But he may be calling you, Cody Christians, he may be calling you to do things that are scary, but trust him, not your ability to do them. He will put to flight thousands in front of you. But if he's asked you to do it, he's not asked me. Man. I was having coffee this last summer with a guy who spent a lot of time on the front lines of war, over 20 years of being on the front lines of war, recording it, and this guy's name is Dave Eubanks. A lot of you have met or heard of Dave Eubanks. You've seen the Free Burma Rangers. He founded the Free Burma Rangers, still leading it to this day. Um, 
And he's been in a lot of war-torn areas right at the front lines, bringing life and healing and the love of Jesus to people that, man, uh, we would want to just kill. And he's loved these people and stood there. And so him and I were sitting having coffee. And uh, through conversations he had had throughout being in Cody, he's, he was here in Cody, uh, through conversations that he'd had, he'd come to, across some conflict. And so when we're sitting there having coffee, I didn't know it, but he was on the walkie-talkie with God in his head, praying, God, I want to talk to this young man about this thing. Are you giving me permission to do it? Am I the guy to talk to him about it? Because he has this thing on his heart. So he's sitting there on a walkie-talkie. So we're talking. And he legitimately, like, we're in conversation, and he just interrupts me. He goes, Greg, I just, I got to talk to you about something. Right? It's like finally God said, all right, go. And he's like, he just set it down and went, I got to talk to you about something. And so he brought up this thing, conflict between me and some other people. He said, I just want to talk to you about it. And so we started to process, started to share these kind of things. And as he was talking about it, I began to realize I had some frustration. uh, That might be a light word, anger in my heart towards other people in this city. The crosshairs that God had given me, I had placed on the wrong people. And Dave just sat there and said, Greg, I want to tell you, I know what it's like to get distracted. So he told me about times where he had to extend forgiveness, not just in against real enemies who are shooting at him, but even guys on his own team, how God, or how Satan got in there and caused distraction, and they began to turn on each other and become enemies on the same team. And so he just talked to me about it and coached me. He said, Greg, here's what I want you to do. Such good advice. He said, Greg, I want you to pray for them. He said, but I don't want you just to pray that they would be successful or things would go well for them. He said, Greg, I want you to pray that God would put a love in your heart for them. Pray that you would love them. That's what I want you to do. It was amazing. It was great counsel. And that's what I've been praying. Weekly, uh, if not daily. And so, guys, we're at war. And if you really want to be about it, God's going to, he's going to distract you. Or not God, but Satan's going to try to distract you and throw you off course. But prayer life, staying connected to the commander who sees everything, is the best way we can get through this. And guess what? People's eternity will be changed. You will lay down your life for something that matters, that is meaningful when you do. But let God be on the throne. Let him be in the general's tent. Let him be commander. And let's get in there with him and build a trust in God in our prayer life. But let's get out in the streets and let's get, go to war with Jesus with our prayer life. Does that make sense? You walk into a coffee shop after this is done. You instantly start praying for the baristas in your head. You get on the walkie-talkie for them. You see somebody in Albertsons that you typically are trying to avoid, you say a prayer and you walk up and you love them. You go home and your, your wife's driving you crazy, you pause and you get on the walkie-talkie and you talk to God and you pray for her. We're going to pray constantly. We're going to walk these streets. We're going to walk these high school hallways. We're going to pray for kids. You know what? I, I love this. I, I just have love. we got some teachers in this room. You know, they say they can't, you can't talk about your faith, but they can't stop you from praying. They cannot stop you from bathing those walls in prayer all over the city. Now, I want to take some time to just pray, okay?